those F F A N G. So so that's enjoy a, li a liquidity pool. And for China, the the in consumer stock is is a major, uh, you know, the blue chips for for uh, for Chinese uh, capital markets. So like high tin flavoring food has enjoyed you know double. Uh, uh, in the last four months and mm -hmm. four times in the last two years. And yeah. I not even mention the multi. So, you know, young brands are coming to a retail uh, you know, IPO again. 2.2 billion dollar, in, in US Kong. dollar. Yeah, yeah, IPO. It's a big one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the consumer market is yeah. a lot of, uh, dragging a lot of tension. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot more to come, and I want to thank you, Mr. Yan and Wu, bringing us the latest uh, from China, and uh, glad to hear that you're actually like a real live conference. I'm looking forward to those again. He is the chairman of Zhenrong Bao Xie Ni. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Okay, let's have a look at the markets that are open today. Uh, the Australian Stock Exchange is headed down a little bit. The Cosby's actually up a couple of points, so keep an eye on that one. And uh, the Nikkei is dropping. Uh, I am Andrew Work. I'll be back tomorrow with a bevy of special guests to look at in-depth uh, at some exciting things in the logistics industry and in CBD in addition to our market roundup. So be there. That's it for today on Money Talk. Today's weather cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. If you hadn't already noticed, it's 831 and Samantha Butler has the half hour news. The British government is planning new legislation which could override elements of the Brexit agreement signed last year with the European Union relating to Northern Ireland. New legislation on the UK internal market and finance will give priority to British laws in areas relating to state aid and customs. This would weaken the ability of the Northern Ireland Protocol agreed with the EU to regulate state aid and tariffs on goods entering the province. Here's the BBC's Katja Adler. I've been speaking to sources here in Brussels and one key EU diplomat said to me it's not just about trust, it's not just about credibility, but if this UK legislation undermines the Irish protocol, this could lead to the unravelling altogether of these trade negotiations. He called it a self-defeating strategy by the UK and of course this comes just on the eve of the eighth round of trade negotiations. The EU trade negotiators are about to join their UK counterparts in London this week. This report will not help ease the atmosphere. India is now the country with the second highest number of coronavirus infections in the world after the United States, having overtaken Brazil. Here's the BBC's Yogita Lamai. COVID-19 is spreading faster in India than anywhere else in the world. Consistently, this country has the highest number of daily new infections and deaths. The virus has spread beyond major cities to smaller towns and rural areas. But the capital Delhi has seen a surge in infections too. And so there are worries about the city opening up its metro rail system this week, which was closed for nearly six months. U.S. military helicopters are continuing to airlift to safety, holidaymakers trapped by a wildfire in central California. More than 200 people have now been moved from a popular camping area in the Sierra National Forest. There have been nearly 1,000 wildfires in the state since mid-August. Colonel Jesse Miller of the California National Guard is part of the team battling them. August is somewhat early in the typical California fire season to experience uh, this uh, dynamic fire behavior, but it's the sheer number of fires burning throughout Northern California concurrently, and several of them large complexes also burning concurrently. That's what's making it historic and unusual. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today, Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. And we're talking about COVID-19 developments today again. Authorities will arrange testing for 7,000 prison inmates after two of them became infected. Secretary for Civil Service Patrick Nipps said yesterday the Universal Testing Programme had identified 10 patients so far, including four previously confirmed cases. Speaking on a radio programme, he said around 1.08 million people have signed up for the community-wide testing as of 9 o'clock yesterday morning, with uh, more than 860,000 having had their test samples taken already. He said if many people take part in the testing programme, the results may serve as a reference for resuming normal activities locally. The government will extend the testing scheme by four days to September the 11th. What do you make of that and the latest figures on cases detected and cases and tests taken? Could it be that there are very few unreported cases? Does that mean the money was wasted or is it still a useful exercise? Is it time now to relax restrictions? And if so, which? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us on 233-88266. We'd love to hear from you, 233 3388266. That's the number to call. Uh, just before we get to uh, our guests, we've got we've got a few emails on uh, other topics. I'll just do a, do, do a few now uh, on discussing and uh, pertaining to the disturbances yesterday and the arrests. Andrew Kay says on crowd control, it would have been good if the American police here watching the Hong Kong police at work on Sunday. They could have learnt a lot about how it's done. Nobody does it better. And they accuse Hong Kong of police brutality. Really? Uh, and Mr Pink says, in the wake of yesterday's mass arrest, can Backchat remind listeners how many of the roughly 9,200 people arrested last year in connection with the protests were eventually charged with offences? And of those, how many have actually been tried? I recall reading that only 20% of those arrested last year ended up being prosecuted, but perhaps RTHK can confirm this. It'll be interesting to see how many of the roughly 300 arrested yesterday will end up in court what proportion are charged under the national security legislation and how many of those will be found guilty that comes from uh mr pink uh just i can just say on that last point that uh according to the press reports i saw there's only one person who was actually arrested uh with charges related to the national security legislation and the others were were a variety of uh, of uh, other causes uh, joining us for our first part of the programme uh, this morning, we have with us uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of Epidemiology and Biostatistics Division at the University of Hong Kong, and Arasina Ma, President of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association. Good morning to both of you. Uh, uh, maybe uh, Arasina Ma, good morning. If we could start with you. You there? Uh, good morning. Hi, Dr. Ma. Thanks for joining us. Okay, um, so what do you think we've learned so far from the uh, community-wide testing? Do you, are you happy with the, the number that have taken part, and what do you think we've learned from the results? Um, actually, um, I think we should not uh, have a very solid uh, targets for the number, as uh, the government always stressed that it is a voluntary program. So it's just a reflection about uh, our population, how they feel about the program. Actually, the number itself, we cannot force anything. So, but uh, uh, I'm a bit uh, concerned about the number uh, we find out from the, uh, those tested. And actually, uh, some of them got positive. In fact, they uh, already got some symptoms. However, they didn't get the test in the appropriate place, like their private practitioner or the uh, government clinic, but they go to the screening test. 
which is uh, actually aimed at for uh, those asymptomatic uh, low-risk patients, uh, low-risk population. Uh, Dr. Mark, good morning. Um, good morning. Uh, you said about the numbers, but I remember that the, at the outset the government was talking about 5 million people taking part, and now it's sort of just staggered over the 1 million mark, and yes, there are going to be something for prisoners, and there's an appeal from the Secretary for Education for students and teachers as well, but we're obviously not going to get uh, over 2 million, are we, by the end of the exercise? I think it's quite unlikely to get two million unless uh, the government has uh, another drastic uh, 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 promotion or advertisement campaign right. going on. Well, normally Hong Kong people are quite keen on free things. Why do why do you think they sort of turned shrugged and and turned away from this one? Uh, first of all, I would rather say whether it is a really free thing. Um, I think no, because we all, the all taxpayer actually is paying part of it. Secondly, I think uh, whether we accept freebies, it also depends whether the freebies are, are really against your well core value or any, actually it makes uh, a hamper or, or, or cause any uh, hazard to your to your to yourself. So um, yes, I think that may be the consideration of our population. Right, we had. Ten patients identified, including four previously. Are these four people? Were they recovered patients? Um, according to the information from the CHP, they are the recovered patients. They are discharged from the facility or institution. They are asymptomatic, although they got tested from the swab. But actually, the values is really low. They believe that uh, they have antibody. So they are not uh, uh, see as infected, and they do not need any further isolation or right. treatment. So we've actually found six asymptomatic cases. Mm. Uh, mm. The net result so far. Um, actually, I'm not sure whether, uh, uh, according to the information they provide, among that six new uh, found uh, positive patients. Some of them are quite asymptomatic, especially the first two. However, the reason uh, last three, actually they uh, revealed that they already got some symptoms, uh, maybe before or uh, around the time they have their screening test. So I don't think they are asymptomatic patients. Right. You, I, I can't quite um, find the figures, to be honest. I looked through the, the Centre for Health Protection website and so on, uh, on, on how many how many tests have been, you know, declared and how many cases there have been. Uh, it, it, I think there are, it's reported that 860,000 people have had their tests and, and uh, as I say, that uh, uh, n not very many uh, have, have, have actually been uh, confirmed. Um, so do we actually know what proportion of the people tested have been found to carry the disease? Um, actually, I think um, there is always one figure is missing from all those news and information in recent days. Actually, how many numbers they found is uh, positive in their uh, yeah. screening test. And actually, what's the exact number? They are finally confirmed to be real positive. But uh, actually, uh, most many reporters, uh, actually in the press conference or even uh, our government official being uh, questioned in another uh, radio 
real interviews, <laughs> they did not provide this data. This data is very important, uh, especially for con uh, calculating uh, the false positive way of the test kits we are using right now. Yeah, as I say, because we, as we say, there are 10 identified, but it's not clear that's out of how many. Uh, Professor Cowling, uh, good morning to you and thanks, thanks for joining us. Can you, can you help us out here? Do, do you have a clear idea of how many tests have been done and the results have been, you know, uh, they've got the results and how many cases have been found among those? Uh, the latest that I heard was probably 600,000 or even 700,000. Uh, people had been tested. That's yeah. not the same as number of tests done, yeah. because I suspect, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that the test, the samples are being pulled. So for 600,000 samples, it may be only 60,000 or 120,000 tests done. And then if there's a positive pool, then they go back to the original samples and test each one individually. And for the false positives, there hasn't been any information we would expect some false positives to have been come up, to have come up, to have been retested, and then maybe negative on on the confirmatory test and so not counted in the in the 10 that you mentioned so so are we saying then that there are 10 there are 10 cases out of 700,000 is that right something like that there there was five yesterday i'm not sure if those so that would scale up to about 100 if if it's 700,000 tested in a population of 7 million so that's one in 10 and right. it's about 100 cases potentially uh, but some of those 100 would not be contagious anymore they'd already have passed the contagious period because you know when somebody's infected the virus will flare up to a high level and then it will slowly come down 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 over the following week two weeks three weeks so when we do this kind of mass testing we're actually more likely to pick up people who are who have been shedding virus for a little while maybe without symptoms we're less likely to pick up people before their symptoms appear or around the time that the the virus load peaks so although there are 10, and you, you said you extrapolated to 100, that doesn't mean there's 100 contagious cases in the community. I'm sure it's less than that. So it be less than 100. That's very few, isn't it? That's very few. So you mentioned I mean, earlier, And you, you kind of think, well, if there are less than 100 people, why, do we, why are we doing all this? <laughs> why are we yeah. doing all this, these social measures? Yeah, you, you mentioned Patrick Nip said that the, the mass testing is going to be a benchmark for how to resume normal activities. But I'm not clear in what way it's a benchmark. You know, what do we do next if we think there's maybe up to 100, maybe less than 100 cases that we haven't recognized in the community? Does that mean we can open up or does it mean we can't? Yeah, I, on, the, on this very point, good morning, Professor Cowling. On this very point, is it realistic that we're ever going to get down to zero? I think we did get down to zero in April and May, because if you remember, we had quite a period of time with no local cases reported. And then when the third wave flared up, the virus has been genetically tested and fingerprinted. And we know that it's a different virus to our second wave. It's a virus that's come from, from other parts of the world. So that means we did truly get to zero local infections at the end of the second wave. But that was after a period of a month or two months of social distancing measures after the virus had, after the cases had come down to a very low level. Uh, right now, we're still at the tail of the third wave. So I think if we relax now, the virus most likely would flare up again. What's, is there, I'm, I'm struggling here in the dark. Is there a number daily, roughly averaging, that would be acceptable? That we would just shrug and get on with life? Uh, well, two, 14 consecutive days with zero cases would be a, would be a safe place to, to start from. Um, I would say that if, if you also did mass testing with millions of people, not just 
one million, but, but a much larger number of people and it all came back negative, that would be very, very reassuring. But we can't do that now because we know if we did that now, there'd still be up to 100 cases, as, as you just estimated. So I, I think we're still going to have to wait a little bit longer before it's, it's safe to relax the social distancing measures. Well, that's purely from a medical point of view. What, at what point, though, does this be, the economic damage outweigh the health gain? Well, I, I completely understand. That's why, why a lot of parts of the world have, have kind of given up on, on trying to eliminate the virus and get down to zero. They're, they're just trying to balance the, the social distancing measures to prevent a flare-up in the virus and, and an overwhelming right. epidemic, but at the same time allowing more economic activities to go on. Okay, a couple of comments from uh, listeners. First of all, uh, Matthew says, the mass testing programme has only achieved 20% of its participation target and has clearly failed by the government's own stated expectation. Yet now they're talking about using more resources to extend it. What movie or theatre show would be extended after achieving 20% of its box office target? Public funds are being used to conduct a mass testing programme which most independent medical experts, including the WHO, agree will only be effective if carried out on the entire population of an area while that area is under a tight or total lockdown. Why would the government and CCP choose such a path? The low registration rate indicates that even pro-government supporters are not participating and many who have participated were forced to by employment arrangements. In the meantime, more than 30 cross-border testing and quarantine exemptions remain in place even after the Department of Health has confirmed these were the cause of the current wave. And uh, Hugh says, why not get right down to it and pursue the well-received premise that the whole sorry incident is all just just to placate those in authority here as elsewhere as i say comes from hugh um arasina ma uh, you know if there are only a hundred cases say at large in in hong kong what follows from that do you think what will be the appropriate response um actually i think uh, uh when we talk about appropriate response we, uh, we can not only see uh, the condition inside our community we also need to see the condition uh in different parts of, uh, of the world especially those around us especially the mainland or the southeast asia uh, personally i think we have no right to loosen uh the border control so i really don't uh, agree that we should uh, quickly open up the the, uh, the border control in terms of let people go in without uh, testing without quarantine because it's a very dangerous move uh, about the local economic uh, economic activity i think that we may can we may uh, lose, uh, gradually loosen the restriction over the dining place or or those um, uh, school and uh, those gym and so on but uh, we should really um, avoid those big group gathering, um, we should really enforce the mask ticket, the mask wearing and uh, hand washing. And also we need to pay attention to another wave to come, especially after the school right. opened. Yeah. So you think, the, you think the secret to this is to cut down the number of exemptions at the border, but maybe a little bit looser within our own yes. community? Dr yes. Ma, there's something I want to ask you and also uh, Pro Professor Cowling Leader. I was looking at the statistics uh, over the weekend. For Singapore, for example, has more than 50,000 cases, but only 27 deaths. Whereas here in Hong Kong, we have only a tenth of the number of cases, uh, less than 5,000, but already almost 100 deaths. What's the reason for that disparity? 
Um, I think, first of all, um, in the third wave of this pandemic, we have a, a large outbreak among elderly homes and among the um, local community. Uh, quite a number of elderly uh, people with chronic disease got infected. And actually, the number who are deaf, actually 90% are over 65 years old. Um, and in comparison to Singapore, actually, the large group of the infected people are the young um, uh, foreign workers. So that's maybe one of the reasons why their death rates are much lower than us. Uh, Professor Cowling, is that your impression too? Yeah, that's right. Almost all of the cases in Singapore are those young, healthy workers in the dormitories uh, in crowded conditions, but very healthy, so their infections are very, very mild. Um, But but it demonstrates how quickly the virus can spread in, in those kind of settings. And for Hong Kong, one of the worrying signs is we just heard about some cases in prisons or detention centers. And that's the kind of place where COVID could really spread very, very rapidly if it's not stopped. Right, and they're going to test all 7,000 uh, prisoners now. Uh, I, I, there's more than 7,000 prisoners in the whole of Hong Kong, aren't there? No, I don't think so. No, I think it's about right. 7,000. Yeah. Okay, I, I mean, I would prefer to hear they're testing the staff because <laughs> I think the staff are uh, an important uh, group of people to monitor and also the staff in elderly homes. Right. Um, and a one-off test may not be enough, I think is the kind of thing that we should probably be thinking about doing regularly. I suppose if you're in prison, you're, whether you volunteer or not, doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll be told that you're going to have it. Well, I, I, think, I think there's still an element of, of a voluntary nature, but I, I think it's for the good of everybody to have regular testing of people in prisons and of the staff that are coming in and out every day. I think a point about the staff is, is, is well taken, both for prisons and other institutions like mm. homes for the elderly are, right. we, are we not doing this i don't think so what about the question of extension that was mentioned there by by matthew so this the, the program is being extended there's a possibility of it being extended beyond that uh, again uh, does that make sense uh, benjamin Calling, would you support that um uh, there is value to the information on how many infections there might be in the community but I, I'm not sure it's worth paying billions and, and billions of dollars for to, to repeat again and again and again. I think after doing this exercise, it, it would be really helpful to have a kind of autopsy of the whole exercise. How much did it cost? What did we learn from it? What was the value of that information? And if we were to do it again, why would we be doing it? And what would we be looking to learn or what actions would we we'd be looking to take as a consequence of the information we acquire? Dr. Maher, what do you think about the extension? Um, as, uh, first of all, nowadays, um, really um, uh, uh, um, comments on the actual um, details of the program maybe um, uh, get attacked from a different side. And also the government said that we should not pay attention to, we should not stress on the cost effectiveness. So um, if you don't if you don't say anything about the cost effectiveness, of course, if you lengthen the program, you you're able to test more and also get more numbers and more information. But at, at the end, whether we should not take uh, consider the cost effectiveness, um, I really wonder about that. Even for scientific study, we should look at the cost effectiveness of the uh, of the program and also um, for, um, for the program. We can see there are many many. Um, a strange arrangement about the instruction. So it also makes that if it is a scientific study, it may be a not it may not be a very good one because the inclusion criteria, the instructions, everything are actually are 
in the map. Surely, well, in what way? Sorry, you said they were strange. What was what strange in the in the procedures? Um, for example, um, they let people. Um, they, they they actually they let people with symptoms to go in to okay, do the yeah. test, and first, secondly, they let people to um, repeatedly test even within just uh, ten days. So I think it is also violate the original design of the program. Mm. Okay, uh, a comment from CW who's, or question who says, who is monitoring the quality of the testing and security of samples? It was shocking to read that one box of samples was left outside and someone decided to use it as an umbrella. I think that's, that, that happened uh, last week. Uh, uh, Dr. Mara, are you satisfied at the, the quality of the testing and security of the samples? Um, actually, um, the, um, the, 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 the incident mentioned in that email is not in this testing center, uh, in the, one of the government clinics, so uh, it is uh, not related to this program. About the testing sample, the quality, the privacy, everything, we have no information because the government, uh, it is done by the, that three company, that uh, laboratory uh, start, uh, set up by that three company. I think the government has not revealed any information about that. Uh, Dr. Ma, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that it doesn't seem to be a concept of value for money here. Uh, presumably quite a substantial sum has been spent. And the question arises, if the same amount had been spent in a different way, in a more targeted way, would it have produced more of these uh, silent carriers? Um Definitely, my personal opinion, or also opinion from some other experts in different parts of the world, targeted testing is more cost-effective and more valuable. And as said before, we really hope that those um, uh, elderly home inmates and staff can get repeatedly tested. And also, as Dr. Cowling uh, 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 talked about, uh, we really need to pay attention to the prison and detention center, especially the uh, last week we got uh, cases from the like, Chico Detention Center, and he has been spent a week in the Seulam uh, Psychiatric Detention Center. Um, uh, we really worry that there may be an outbreak in the Seulam Psychiatric Detention Center, and if there is outbreak there, it will be a disaster. Okay. Uh, this is a comment from Paisley who says, while the one-hour extension to restaurant evening operating hours to 10 o'clock is a welcome move, the government should also consider relaxing the current two-person restrictions to at least four people. Such a move would likely have negligible, if any, adverse impact on COVID spread, but would have a significant positive effect on the revenues of the catering industry, and hence the income and job security of the tens of thousands of people employed in the restaurant and hotel sectors. That is uh, from Paisley. And a question from Jay, who says, can your doctors there, can they tell us how safe, how safe these new vaccines that we are supposed to be getting will be? And is this very safe with many different suppliers? What are the chances of getting fake vaccines in the market? And if this becomes dangerous, if it becomes compulsory? I guess it's early stages, but Arasina Mar, do you have concerns about the safety of the vaccines? Um, first of all, according to the government information, since they would uh, actually get the vaccine directly from well, those one of those pharmaceutical company, so I think the worries about fake vaccine is uh, actually maybe not really realistic. But about the safety and effectiveness, we should pay attention to that. All those are new vaccines, and those are the uh, 
coronavirus uh, vaccine. So uh, they are always concerned about the safety, side effect, and effectiveness. Uh, the effectiveness of coronavirus vaccine actually um, need time to see. But um, yes, I think we should not put the vaccine to a, man, uh, a mandatory, the vaccine program into a mandatory. It should be um, a, a voluntary one, and the priority should be given to those vulnerable patients like um, elderly and also those with chronic illness. But how can we place orders for a vaccine if we're not 100 percent sure they're safe? We don't we don't know one yet, do we? Uh, actually, because of the current situations, I think all different countries are, are, are fighting for the vaccine. That's why our government may really want to try to make an earlier move. Um, they did not disclose uh, whether which company they have ordered uh, from. So uh, we need to, really need to look at the trace uh, 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 previous uh, re- uh, record of the company. Especially also need to look at the record of that factory or the manufacturer of the vaccine. But anyway, at this moment, uh, we don't have enough information to um, analyze or comment about all these. Uh, okay, one comment on uh, uh, well, a couple of comments on our Facebook page. Uh, Dare says, "Is there a number that would allow elections to uh, occur?" And Matthew says, in answer to that, "No." Uh, and uh, uh, CW uh, also says, "One statistics we never informed about is the arrivals returning to Hong Kong who are tested negative at the airport and then go into 14 days quarantine. How many of those, after having tested negative at the airport, develop COVID-19 during the 14 days quarantine? This might lead us to review whether the 14 days quarantine is overkill." and should be reviewed. That question from uh, Colin. Thank you very much indeed for that. And thank you very much indeed to our guests in the first part of the programme this morning, to uh, Arasina Ma, President of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association. And many thanks to, once again, to Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of Epidemiology and Biostatistics Division at the University of Hong Kong. We're going to be joined after the news at nine o'clock this morning by Dr Kwok Kaki, a civic party lawmaker and uh, doctor as well. If you want to have uh, any further questions, particularly of a medical nature, then uh, you of course, you can always call us on 233-88266. Drop us a line by email or comment on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Join the conversation there. The weather, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. Sunny intervals this afternoon. Temperatures up to about 32 degrees. More showers in the middle and latter parts of this week. There's a thunderstorm warning in place now. 28 degrees, humidity 84%. While more than 300 flights across 10 airports were cancelled. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning, first one of the week, with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Churton. We're talking once again about uh, latest on uh, latest developments uh, in COVID, in particular the, the uh, mass testing program and progress there. Uh, if you've got any thoughts, questions, uh, or comments, we're also touching on things like uh, vaccines uh, as well. Please uh, uh, join in by calling two three three eight eight two six six. We'll put you on air. You can put your questions to our experts. Uh, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk and we'll do our best to read out your comments. Uh, let's just kick off this section maybe with uh, something that's uh, on a different topic and it's related to our discussion on Friday, which was uh, about the issue of separation of powers. This is from Bowen, who says, Officials' recent spate of surprisingly uninformed and carelessly thought through outbursts on separation of powers really ought to come to an end with the latest reported comments of Theresa Cheng. The term separation of powers is far less confusing than Theresa Cheng has made it out to be. Few people who know what it means would use it 
it in an absolute or extreme sense, because they know using it in such a way would mean that no country on earth has separation of powers, whereas it indisputably exists in reality in different shapes and forms in many places, including Hong Kong. Carrie Lam said that the term was not mentioned in the basic law. If that's the logic, neither is the term executive-led government mentioned, nor is Theresa Cheng's formula for the three branches to complement each other. In the latter case, the reason is obvious. Giving complementarianness explicit emphasis in the basic law could be interpreted as sanctioning or requiring bypassing normal political give-and-take to reach agreement, which is the natural way for political compromises to be made. To artificially require such complementarianness against a backdrop of so-called executive-led government would be even worse, as it's tantamount to coercing the other two branches to passively give way to imperatives of the executive branch and to not carry out their own duties seriously. Ultimately, where compromise cannot be reached, the dispute should be resolved not through exhortations but mechanisms put in place by the mini-constitution. For example, the power of the MPCSC to interpret the basic law, the CE's power to dissolve Levchko in the circumstances mentioned in Article 50 and the CE's own resignation in the circumstances mentioned in Article 52 too. And three, those thoughts from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, joining us now, uh, between now and 9.30, we have, as I say, Dr Kwok Karki, a civic party lawmaker and uh, medical doctor. Uh, here's an email from uh, Tom, uh, who says, the low positive results from the mass COVID test is reassuring. Hong Kong is the only place in the world to provide free COVID testing to every citizen. In the US, you'd have to wait days to get tested, pay $10,000 for the Hong Kong dollars for the result, and then wait days for the result. Uh, if the yellow camp was in charge of the Hong Kong government, I'd like their pro proposal on how they could do COVID testing any more efficiently. Regarding the results, it's clear that older, more cautious people are the ones getting tested, and high-risk groups are not taking the test. It would be great if more employers could require tests for their employees. That's from uh, Tom. Dr Quat, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, what do you make of the uh, what Tom calls there the low positive results from, from the test? Uh, very few cases, it seems, uh, 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 revealed uh, by this test. That's good news, surely. Uh, in fact, the, this present wave has been slowed down, thanks God, and I think this is partly due to um, tightening of some of the arrangement uh, uh, as a result of the outbreak of the, of the pandemic, the third wave, uh, particularly for the air crew and also for the sea uh, seamen. But uh, I would like to warn that we are coming uh, facing the, the winter period and in which uh, the other uh, probably is the government's intention to loosen the border control um, you know, using like the health coke or like the uh, charcoal bubbles. And in fact, if you look around in the world, the global warning has been issued, uh, both, you know, in many places, including United States, U European countries, saying that the winter will be a challenge to, to a lot of countries because they are not only facing COVID-19, they are facing like uh, influenza and other respiratory disease. And particularly coupled with the fact that a lot of the countries is going to loosen this, uh, the control uh, at the community level, like the uh, social distancing, to probably to you know allow more people to join a lot of uh, local business. That is something which is quite worrying. In fact, if you look into the lesson learned from Hong Kong, we should be very careful in you know considering 
how do we loosen the um, the border control and how much are we going to attract the tourists into Hong Kong? Because on one hand, we may be able to, you know, attract some of the tourists coming to Hong Kong, but the, the price we need to pay is, is a result of another outbreak will be huge. So much that, you know, we, we would not like to see, you know, almost uh, 100 people is going to die as a result of this uh, third wave, so we should be very careful. The very low um, incidence of positive case is reassuring. But the point is that uh, out of the five cases which is discovered uh, from the uh, uh, from the mass testing, now these three patients, in fact, they are carrying the symptoms. The two elderly with the helpers, in fact, they have respiratory tract symptoms. And the uh, healthcare the Health Protection Center has already, Dr. Chung Chukwan has said, you know, this group of these uh, people should, instead of going to the mass test, they should go to uh, have their medical care as soon as possible. They should be tested with priority because, you know, they are the one who need not only the testing, but they need treatment because they're elderly. One of them is 92, another is 87, I suppose. So they are, have a lot of problem issues if they cannot be taken into medical facility as soon as possible, then we'd be running a risk of, you know, deterioration. So uh, we are happy to see the low incidence, but the point is that the um, mass test is probably unrelated with, to whether we can control, you know, the, the another ways of outbreak, because it, it very much rests on the policy, particularly in, in the community level and also at the border control. And, you know, we can we can do whatever mass test you know uh, as because as the secretary of um, civil service saying that we don't need to count the uh, the cost thing you know cost is nothing a concern to the government okay just do it uh, <laughs> if they like but you know the it doesn't mean that doing a lot of tests will help, help Hong Kong instead we need to focus you know sort on of the tests uh, yesterday's. Uh, figures reveal at least one cases of, you know, uh, one of the restaurants where requesting the staff to go for the COVID-19 test before uh, he was allowed to going back to the workplace. And that is very important because we uh, would like to uh, encourage people, industry, which will meet a lot of people like the uh, catering industry, the taxi drivers, bus drivers, a lot of people who need to meet a lot of pay, uh, people's uh, in their daily life. So, that is more important. So, so, Dr. Kwok, so Tom says, if the yellow cat was in charge of the Hong Kong government, I'd like their proposal on how they could do COVID testing any more efficiently. So if you were in charge, uh, how would you do the testing more efficiently, Dr. Kwok? I think the WHO recommendation is still uh, working quite well. Because the WHO uh, recommendation is that we need to, you know, uh, focus on the high-risk group, like people working in uh, in the service service industry like, you know, catering, restaurant, taxi driver, bus driver, MTR workers, uh, civil servants who need to face uh, public. And that is... And, and, and have maybe compulsory testing for those professions or something? Um, you know, in Hong Kong, we would like to encourage people to do the testing. You should try to make ways make ways in, in order to encourage people to do the testing. In fact, the turnout will be very good. Like the elderly home workers, the turnout for the testing is, is quite encouraging because, you know, people working in the elderly home, they understand the risk 
and also the responsibility of working in that places. And I think the education should be more important. Is it fair then for employers to uh, force employees to say, "Look, you're in a, you're in an industry where this 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 is a, a big issue. Please go now, and get tested." Now it will be left to the uh, you know the law cannot force people to do anything in Hong Kong. If we are in a uh, of safety countries, you know, like many countries, I don't want to quote, you know, not only mainland China, but other yes. many parts of the world, uh, they would force people to do a lot of other things. But in Hong Kong, we used to not to force people to do the things. You can encourage, you can see uh, how important educated people or you as an employer, you can, you know, deny people from joining uh, to work. If they are not right, you know, I'm not I'm talking about the government forcing people. I'm talking about the employer saying and that is that is an issue for the employee employer issue. Okay, that is the labor another labor issue, and uh, I think as an ordinary citizen, it should be encouraged to do the test instead of forced by the employer to do whatever test. Right. I don't think it is a a kind of attitude should have stopped in Hong Kong. Okay. I cannot enforce that. Yeah. I remember in a previous program, you were talking of as many as 300,000 people at that time being exempted from uh, quarantine arrangements at the border. Uh, you said there have been some tightening up. Do you have any feel for how many people are still exempt? Uh, we have been asked repeatedly for the government to release the figures, but unfortunately, until today, we couldn't have any figures. When I woke, I woke several times to the Secretary of uh, Health and Food and also the, the Chairman, the Chair Lady Carrie Lam, asking her to release, you know, the most recent figures. But, you know, until today, I didn't have any figure at all. All right. Okay. Don't ask me. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of uh, me. okay, a couple of related emails to do with uh, 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 the open air. I guess uh, this is first of all one from from uh, Philip uh, who says, "Good morning, back chat. Uh, would someone please shed light on why the beaches are still closed? Fresh air, swimming, and social distancing." Uh, Philip goes on, how is life in Shenzhen? Yes, you have to wear a mask on the metro. Walking around the streets, it's 50-50 with people wearing masks or not. Bars, restaurants, karaoke, massage parlours, open. I would like to sum up COVID-19 with a skipping song from 1919 during the swine flu. I think that was during the, the uh, not the swine flu, it was the, the Spanish flu, wasn't it? Anyway, uh, the, the rhyme was, I had a bird, its name was Enza. I opened the window and influenza time to wake up that comes from uh philip uh, and uh, the other comment uh, is uh from uh, m uh, who says hi please ask your guests what evidence they have studied as to the absolute and relative risk of the transmission of covid outdoors i'm aware of two documented cases of outdoor transmission one in a large chinese study of documented cases where time and place of transmission could be determined out of 7500 cases only one transmission took place outdoors two men having a conversation outdoors in wuhan i'm not sure of further details but could of course have been a very 
extended conversation and in a relatively enclosed outdoors area. And second, in a similar study in the USA, out of 1,000 cases, only one transmission took place outdoors. Two men were jogging together. I'm not sure of the further details, but one would imagine that they will be running together over an extended period of time. So these studies suggest an enormous difference in risk between outdoors and indoor setting, orders of magnitude. Surely by this stage there must be no shortage of data from Hong Kong and around the world to further verify these findings. The reality of the enormous reduction in risk ought actively be used to our advantage, i.e. move as many activities as possible outdoors, exercise, restaurant, bars, schooling, etc. That's uh, from uh, M. Any comment on that, Dr. Kwok? Yeah, I think uh, it's, you know, the most important thing in Hong Kong or elsewhere in other countries is, number one, to stop the source of the infection coming in. So a lot of countries, if you quote uh, Samsun or quoting mainland China, after, you know, we all know the, the virus actually originated or being discovered in Wuhan. But after the first few months, in fact, the mainland China has really closed the border to most uh countries including hong kong so if you know if you are working uh in hong kong you may be exempted but if you're going back to china you won't be exempted because you know you need to uh, follow the very top guideline of staying 14 days in a hotel in a designated hotel not not even uh calling the, the home quarantine uh, you know in hong kong they they're very stringent the point is that this is you know, the number one, they know, you know, mainland China is very clever. They know, they already, they know the origin of the virus. They know a lot of things. So they, you can say they are probably ahead of the other countries by closing the borders. But the other countries suffer. Uh, you know, in Hong Kong, we are also having a period of almost three weeks without any uh, cases uh, having. And that time, because the border control is quite satisfactory, uh, we don't have any so-called the uh, enlarged or the, uh, the so-called the exempted groups of people now, you know, uh, numbering 300,000. So if we can protect the city by very stringent border control, we would be able to open the community activities. I, I agree very much that if we are following the uh, guidelines like wearing a mask, 1.5 meters social distancing. You know, people should be able to moving around freely in a in a city, and also be able to go to outdoor facility like the beaches and many other places because it has been worked very well, even mainland. But you know, the the track is that you need to make sure that the border control is tight enough to protect the people here. But unfortunately and sadly, regrettably, in Hong Kong, you know, our government is thinking otherwise. They're thinking. Not only uh, whether to uh, improve the border control, but they are thinking, you know, how to loosen, uh, mm. you know, in a way to loosen the border control to attract more people coming in. I think that is is a very wrong direction. Doctor Kwok, is there a single case that we're aware of of somebody getting the virus in a swimming pool? Uh, I cannot quote you a figures. I'm not academic, but you know, I cannot remember vividly that any people catching the disease, not only in the beaches, swimming pool, but of course in walking around in the country park, you know, because, you know, <laughs> if you wear a mask, if you are following the social distancing, you know, the, the, the point is whether we, we are not catching the disease at the swimming pool, we catch the disease at the changing room, because if the ventilation 
in the changing room is not good, particularly for those changing rooms. Somehow they have the sauna, steam room. People catch a disease, not in the swimming pool, but in the in the in the in the changing room. So if we allow, you know, you know, in the public beaches, they don't have you know very fantastic, you know, sophisticated uh, changing facility. Um, you know, we go to Sandy Bay or you know, the Repulse Bay. The the changing room is really, you know, they they a lot of uh, local natural air current coming in and out. You know, if you can control the people uh, at the changing room, they follow the 1.5 meter, uh, meter distancing in the changing room. I cannot see why we cannot. We we can't open mm. the beaches for you. The you mentioned the mainland. I have a son who lives in the mainland with his family. They've just been on holiday to many different places in the mainland, and he said everywhere they went, no one's wearing a mask. Uh, people, are, <laughs> people are moving around freely. They, yeah, they seem yeah. to have, have cracked this. You know, the whole country already closed the border to any countries in the world. You're talking about China. You know, they don't even allow people to, you know, it's only until recently they allow people to fly into Beijing. Otherwise, they need people to 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 you know fly into many other airport. Um, you know, you can't be the Beijing up airport, and you need to quarantine 40 days before you are allowed tested many times before you are entering the Beijing city. Hmm. You you know the trick is because you have the border control is always border control, border control, border control, and they you know the the mainland guys they are so clever because they know the origin, so they know how to tackle the disease. But only you know our very <laughs> smart. People serving in Hong Kong doing otherwise. You, you don't ask me why. You know, if they really follow the guidelines of mainland, they should not do this stupid thing in Hong Kong. Okay. Well, here's an email from uh, uh, M, uh, different M. Uh, who says, uh, in the light of all the information available, both from local sources and around the world, it's now time that we, re- we reframe the way we assess and manage the risks posed by the virus and open the borders. In doing this, we must, of course, accept that zero cases will likely be an unrealistic proposition for some time. Sitting around aside the point about opening the borders, um, uh, you know, you hear this a lot, a lot from uh, all over the world now that... Uh, we just can maybe this is we're going to have to live with this we're going to have to live with covid and we can't put our life on hold forever uh and even when the virus you know even when sort of the vaccine comes that's not going to be that's not going to wipe it out uh, exactly um and maybe we should just get used to covid-19 uh if you're asking me the price we need to pay you know we have learned from that great experience now we try to, you know, uh, encourage more local com- uh, community economics by, you know, encouraging people to go to restaurant without a limit. But the problem is that we also uh, have that and uh, not uh, exempted uh, quarantine scheme. That makes the problem very, very challenging for Hong Kong. In many countries, we would like to encourage local activities. But we need to, you know, observe the very tight border control. We are not allow not disallowing people coming into Hong Kong. You can allow people coming to Hong Kong only by test after testing negative. I think that is the way we should follow, and that is what has been done in mainland China. Mainland China tested negative, followed the strict Shenzhen quarantine rules without exemption for you know people entering mainland China, and they're doing very good. 
So why can't we follow? If we, we always want to follow something in mainland China, you know, our, our civic government. So why can't they copy the example in mainland? It They're doing very well. It just doesn't make any sense at all. In our own country, we know what works. Uh, then why aren't we doing it here? I don't know why. <laughs> but we are open up, you know, we have a lot of this exempted policy, which is, in fact, is killing our economy. They are actually... Yeah, but, yeah, but know, if they don't have it in China, then it's fine in mainland, then it's fine to open up to the mainland, isn't it? Um, but you you still need to, you know, main, even in mainland, you, you know, there's a huge country, it's a 1.4 billion country. If we open up the border without observing the fact, you know, what you are quoting is in many cities in China. A lot of these cities, they have very stringent border control has been there. They've tested many people, you know, if you're in Beijing, in Shanghai, in many, in Wuhan, they tested repeatedly negative. They have a lot of other things we cannot, we are not doing in Hong Kong. But we should follow, you know, I, we don't want to single out any countries or people, but before they are allowed to come in Hong Kong, just test them. We have the rapid test. You can test the people. You you may consider to shorten the quarantine period of, you know, not the 14 days. Let the academic to decide what will be the safest period, but you must be tested. And I think that is a golden standard. Test the people negative and allow to, to, to enter Hong Kong with a reasonable quarantine period. And I think without that, we need to pay a very high, huge price, you know, we remember still in Hong Kong, the mortality uh, percentage is still around 2 to 3%. So we are, you know, going to infect like 100,000 people. What we are expecting, to, you know, uh, 2 to 3 more thousand people dying. Is that the price we, we are we are able to try to pay? You know, we, all our restaurants will be down in the in the near future. Once they open up the, the, the loosen up the border control, you know, the next week or, or so, we have a lot of new cases, and the government we introduced a very stringent measure. Close the uh, karaoke, close uh, the gym, gymnasium, close. Well, yeah, you could things. look at it like that, but you could you could also say, well, there, you know, compare it to other risks, and if there are other risks that kill two thousand people over a year, do we stop the economy? Do we put all these limitations on people because of those? Why should COVID be any different? I, I don't think we 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 have that um, um, we we have that power to decide the life of the others. We you know if the people dying is our grandparents, what would you think? A lot of the people lose their their grandparents. You know, in not only in Hong Kong, many places a lot of the weakest people die. People with chronic disease, elderly patients, people work uh, elderly people, people living in the elderly home, neglected people, they all die. Okay, you can. Say, you know, the young guys won't die. The kids may, may not be dying as a result of that. So just open up everything. Let the old guy die. But we that, I, I cannot accept. Okay, okay we, don't, we don't abandon cars because people are killed in car accidents. Oh, this is a very philosophical issue. You know, uh, you know it, it is only a personal... Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's something yeah. that we accept. We accept the risk. We, we think it's worth it. So, if, so how could you justify your decision? You, you're going to have the popular poll in Hong uh, have a, a referendum in Hong Kong. You let all the people to design. One cannot decide the life of the others. You know, people, the, the weakest type of people in a, in a society, the elderly people, people with chronic disease, they are most prone to this sort of infection. 
And yet, you know, the, the, the strongest people in the, in the city, you know, okay. people like you and me to decide the, 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 you know, the future for them. I okay. think it, it, it won't be fair. Okay. Can, can, I, can I just, uh, uh, in the last few minutes, uh, just go on to um, uh, pure politics, I guess. There's a couple of comments from, um, from Matthew. Um, first of all, on uh, Facebook page, Matthew says... Uh, uh, this is in relation to allowing the elections to go ahead uh, and the, uh, the you know, what status of the disease might be. Matthew says if Beijing is certain they could get the result they want, then the election would go ahead tomorrow, irrespective of whether there were zero or a thousand cases daily. <laughs> and uh, Matthew says, uh, Dr. Kwok, yesterday in his letter to Hong Kong, uh, your fellow New Territories West Legislative Councillor Chu Hoi Dick effectively announced he will not participate in the extended LegCo and put uh -huh. forward a very powerful argument to support this, calling on others to do the same. What's your thinking on this important and difficult issue? Uh, number one, I was disqualified. So, you know, for me, uh, the answer is already on the wall. You know, yes, you are very right. You know, if the, if the mainland or the SAR government will be able to control the result, they will have the election... Uh, you know, yes, but you in, can go no back. Time. I mean, he. I think he means, will you join the LegCo for the next year? Already we said we will have this uh, opinion poll will be carried out in the 21st of this month. And we will follow the result. If the people want us to leave, I won't like to stay. Because there's always an argument for and against, you know, whether you should stay. As a legislator has been here serving the community for 12 years uh, under, you know, the very... We're back Don't you have a view? Yeah. Don't you have a view on this? Are you just completely just going to hand it over to somebody else? Uh, I had a view. I said, I, I, if the people allow, I would like to stay. But if people this does not allow, I would like to go. No, no. I so was actually, no, I was actually endorsed and being elected by people of Hong Kong. And I should, you know, always try to respect their views. Shouldn't, you, shouldn't you lead them? You can't just follow them. Aren't you a political leader? I, I said, and we said many times, the purpose and the importance of staying at the legislature later, even in a authoritative government in Hong Kong. We said that I, it's not the first day I, become, I became a legislator. On the very first day I, I was a legislator, I know, you know we are somehow controlled by the mainland already. But I still join because, you know, for me, I would like to, you know, try my very best trying to speak out for the people of Hong Kong. So I think people has, um, they, they know my view. A lot of people know my view. And I have said that repeatedly. But, you know, at the end of the day, as a pan-democratic legislator, we have an agreement that we should follow the people of Hong Kong. And I wouldn't like to oppose the will of the people of Hong Kong. And we cannot... The best way, we should have referendum, but you know, in Hong Kong, it's something outlaw. So we cannot have any referendum, and the best we can is possibly, probably doing a so-called opinion poll by academic, trying to, you know, to reflect as much as possible what the people okay. of Hong Kong uh, Sorry, and just finally, finally, so nearly 300 people arrested uh, in disturbances yesterday evening, afternoon uh, and evening. Any uh, comment on that? I was very disappointed, you know. Uh, it seems that the COVID-19 is an excuse for the police to actually uh, um, opposing the people's right to demonstrate. And I think they, people in Hong Kong actually have the right to demonstrate, to, to give out their view. And once they actually...
people, many people on the street, they are not so-called outlaw. They are not doing anything violent. They just put up a slogan, and they will be catched by the police with violence without with no time. And that is sad. Phenomenon in Hong Kong. It's like any authoritarian government. You know, is is very very bad in Hong Kong. Okay. I was very disappointed and very unhappy about that. Yeah, well, Dr. Kwok, thanks for joining us uh, this morning, Civic Party uh, lawmaker. Thank you very much indeed. Mike, many thanks to you. Well, it's the same old subject, isn't it? It is, yes, it is. Uh, but it's welcome back to Michelle as well, who's uh, joining us now back in the back at work. Uh, the weather before we go. The thunderstorm warning is in effect until 11 o'clock this morning at least. It's going to be mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms, sunny intervals this afternoon, and temperatures up to about 32 degrees. Light to moderate southerly winds and the outlook occasional showers and thunderstorms tomorrow. More showers in the middle and latter parts of the week. 27 degrees now. Humidity is up at 92%. This is Dr. Thomas Tung. To break the chain of transmission of COVID-19 so that people may resume normal activities as soon as possible, the government is running the Universal Community Testing Program for not more than 14 days from September 1st. The public can now book online the date, time and venue for specimen collection by trained healthcare staff. If your test is positive, the Department of Health will follow up with you. For the sake of your health and your family, please register online promptly at communitytest.gov.hk. 9.33, the news with Samantha Butler. The British government is planning new legislation which could override elements of the Brexit agreement signed with the European Union last year. The proposal would remove the legal force of customs arrangements for Northern Ireland, which were agreed to prevent the return of a hard border between the North and the Irish Republic. South Korea is bracing for the arrival of Typhoon Haishen after the powerful storm battered Japan's southern islands, but appeared to pass through without major damage or casualties. The storm, carrying top-sustained winds of up to 144 kilometres per hour, was headed north towards South Korea's second-largest city of Busan. And Britain has registered nearly 3,000 new cases of coronavirus, its highest daily figure since late May. The Health Secretary Matt Hancock said it was mainly among young people. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And where oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Monday. Here we are again, Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. Well, as things start to get back to whatever normal is these days, of course, Robbie Marobbie joins me at 10.10 for this week's Rugby News. We're then off to New York at 10.40 for our Monday chat with correspondent and best-selling author Tracy Kwan. After 11.30 today, we're going to go to the northernmost town on Earth. Longyearbyen, it's called. In Norway.